Ciao amici. Welcome to Cinema Italiano, the podcast dedicated to the Italian experience as told by film. Today, we'll be talking about the Italian films featured at this year's Seattle International Film Festival. The films included Burning Hearts, directed by Pippo Mezzapesa, The Eight Mountains, directed by Felix von Groningen and Charlotte Vandermeersch, The Hummingbird, directed by Francesca Archibugi, and Le Mencita, directed by Emanuele Crialese. The Seattle International Film Festival, or SIF, ran from May 11th through the 21st of 2023, followed by a week of select films available to stream on the SIF channel from May 22nd through the 28th. Making the films available online is something that I quite like about SIF, and a few other festivals like Sundance, where they've given audiences this option, even as things go back to normal after COVID-19. It's such a great way to make these films available no matter where you live, as many of them may never get wider distribution. This year's selection takes us all up and down the Italian peninsula, from Puglia and Burning Hearts, up to Rome for La Mezzita, Florence for The Hummingbird, and then up to the very north in the Italian Alps of the Eight Mountains. First, talking through Burning Hearts, or Ti Mangio Il Cuore, directed by Pippo Mezzapesa. Burning Hearts debuted last year at the 2022 Venice Film Festival in September, in the Horizon section, and then it opened in Italian cinemas just a couple weeks later, opening at number 4 at the box office as the top-grossing Italian film that week. And just about a month ago, it won the David Di Donatello Award for Best Song, Proiettili, performed by singer and star of the film, Elodie. As a quick synopsis, Burning Hearts is a Romeo and Juliet-esque romance western setting a small Italian town ablaze as two warring mafia families reignite a generation's simmering feud that will drag everybody back into a violent spiral of blood and death. Andrea is the heir apparent for his family, and he falls for Marilena, the wife of a member of the opposing gang. When their affair comes to light, the family of Marilena takes retaliation against Andrea's family, leading to a cycle of vengeance, escalating as he grows more and more manic, breaking into paranoid episodes, and lashing out at everyone, including Marilena. He never approaches any kind of satisfaction or resolution as he continues on his spiral, leading out into an inevitable tragedy. The romance between the two lovers is not so convincing. The movie seems to be too anxious to get going with all the plot mechanics than to really linger on developing their love story. For me, actually the most fascinating character dynamics were between Marilena and her new mother-in-law Teresa. Marilena senses the tension and resentment from Teresa as Marilena is a married woman who's now seen Teresa's son, but she takes it in stride, going out of her way to keep room for her even encouraging Andrea to dance with his mother at a party. Later on, as Marilena becomes pregnant, it's Teresa who cares for her, 
and who comforts her throughout this journey. But then when the baby arrives, Teresa helps with the delivery, but also makes time to get in a jab for Marilena, the mother of her grandchild. It's a deranged power dynamic, though Marilena, who's practically on the run from her own family, is not a woman who has many options. The film's portrayal of the mafia is also a pretty unique one, both in its depiction of mob life as well as how it's conveyed very bleakly through formal elements. It's set in the Gargano Promontory in Apulia, where the feuding families are deeply rooted in agriculture. There is nothing glamorous about their day-to-day lives. They live in modest, humbly decorated homes with no material wealth to speak of. In fact, much of the film takes place at a farm where pigs, goats, and cows take on all kinds of roles from literal accomplices to murder, eating the victims' bodies. They're victims of retaliation and violence, and they're even paraded through town as symbols of intimidation to the other family. Burning Hearts feels a little long, and it sort of runs out of steam as the death toll piles up, but it's beautifully crafted. It's stunning black and white cinematography, adds to this bleak but visually captivating lens into such a hopeless world. We get these great wide shots with crystalline clarity, bringing so many details and subtle movements into view, making us fully immersed in the farm compound as we see livestock and family members scatter around in the frame as objective, almost neorealist slices of life. And then these are contrasted with much tighter, stylized close-ups where different layers are faded in and out, and our attention is drawn to one singular focus. The vivid black and white photography brings so much texture and depth to the image, and as the narrative grows more and more tragic as it unravels, the nighttime blacks are all the more sinister, as if they're swallowing up the characters into darkness. The editing and the sound design of Burning Hearts are equally impressive, almost underplaying their hand to create an even more powerful effect. A really standout moment comes when Michele, who's the patriarch of his family, is about to meet his fate. A gunshot is pointed at him, and he begs his killer to preserve his face, and there's a quick cut to Michele's body, face covered, at his funeral. There's no gunshot heard during this cut, just the ominous dinging of tubular bells. It's a chilling moment, that a life can end, and the presence that this family patriarch had can all be reduced and taken away with the levity of a breath. As a romantic tragedy, Burning Hearts doesn't quite stick the landing in establishing the love story at its center or convincingly showing Andrea's sudden shift into madness and bloodthirsty vengeance, but its compelling character dynamics and anti-traditional depiction of the mafia, plus its brilliant craftsmanship, make this a really unique reimagining of forbidden love within the world of organized crime. Up next is The Eight Mountains, or Leoto Montagne, directed by Felix von Groningen and Charlotte Vandermeersch. The Eight Mountains is based on a novel by Paolo Cognetti. 
It was a bestseller in Italy and won the Strega Prize, which is Italy's most prestigious award for literature. It premiered last year in 2022 at Cannes, where it was one of two films to win the Grand Prix. And then it went on to become a, the big winner of the night at the David D. Donatello Awards, including winning Best Film and Best Adapted Screenplay. It was released in Italian cinemas just before Christmas 2022, and funnily enough, it became the eighth highest grossing Italian film of that year. As a synopsis, Pietro is a boy from the city, and Bruno is the last child of a forgotten mountain village. Over the years, Bruno remains faithful to his mountain, while Pietro is the one who comes and goes. While their destinies unfold, the two discover what it means to be true friends for life. Pietro's family, the Guasti family, has father Giovanni, mother Francesca, and son Pietro, who all live in Torino, in the north most of the time, and one year rents a summer house in Grana, further up in the Alps. Giovanni, the father, loves to get away into nature, going on hikes and mountain climbing, so these summer getaways in the countryside are a welcome reprieve from the honking horns and the gridlock routine he has living in the big city. It's there in Grana that Pietro meets Bruno, a local boy around his age, and the two become fast friends, exploring the area, swimming in the lake, and spending this idyllic summer together. Giovanni and Francesca encourage and almost seem relieved by this friendship, inviting Bruno on hikes and even proposing that he move in with them and attend school with Pietro, essentially pitching that Bruno, a boy who's from the mountains, that he leave his way of life for one in the city. It doesn't pan out, and Bruno stays up in the mountains. And as time goes on, Pietro and his father have a falling out, and years later from that, Pietro and Bruno reconnect as friends, now as adults. Bruno shares that Pietro's mother and father had become like surrogate parents for him, and the two worked together to build the dream cabin that Pietro's father had hoped to one day build. The reunion in adulthood brings layers of new understanding and maturity to who they are as men and who they aspire to be in the world. As their lives grow more complex, meeting women and starting families, the split between who they are and who they want to be becomes greater, and their friendship, however deep and long-standing, is really put to the test. There are many extraordinary things about the Eight Mountains, and one aspect that struck me in particular is how the geological landscape and cinematography reflect the open spaces or emptiness facing the three men, the father Giovanni, his son Pietro, and his best friend Bruno. For Giovanni, the mountains are a reprieve from the busy, straining city life, an escape to look forward to, and a reward for his hard work. It's a space that he wants to share with his son Pietro, who does enjoy aspects of it, but as a child becomes physically overwhelmed with altitude sickness and just can't keep up or go as far as his father. But the space of the mountains and the memories that they hold is also therapeutic for Pietro as a physical place to go to, to remember his childhood and his father. And for Bruno, who's from the mountains, it's the only home he's ever known. And as an adult, he is overwhelmed by his business, financial, and family obligations. Going up into the mountains is where he can isolate himself. The mountain has two faces, one of light and one of shadow, and its dual meanings hold true thematically for all the characters.
mi troverai lì con te ogni giorno nei giorni che vorrai il nostro canto arriverà Up next is The Hummingbird, directed by Francesca Archibugi. The Hummingbird was the fifth highest grossing Italian film in 2022. So among the films we're talking about today, this one was the most popular in Italy. It was the opening night film at the Rome Film Festival in October 2022 and opened in theaters right after. And then this year, at the David D. Donatello Awards, it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Original Song. It's based on a novel by Sandro Veronesi, and, like the novel The Eight Mountains, the book version of The Hummingbird was also acclaimed, won the Strega Prize for Literature, and was a best-selling book in Italy. As a synopsis, this non-linear epic depicts the strange, wondrous life of Marco Carrera, played by Pier Francesco Favino, from childhood through adulthood to his final years. The hummingbird jumps through time rather seamlessly with a tonal continuity, skipping across moments from different eras, but it's all edited together to stack scenes that take place within one physical space. It works tonally, but from a narrative side, it's difficult to get one's bearings for when and with whom exactly a scene is set. As a young man who plays late night poker games with his friends, Marco and his buddy Duccio are en route to a casino, but Duccio freaks out on the airplane, and they're forced to deboard. This turns out to be an act of fate, as leaving the plane ended up saving them from a fatal plane crash. Years later, Marco encounters the flight attendant Marina, who says that she was also meant to be on that plane. He courts her, they marry, and they go on to have a daughter, Adele. All the while, Marco never gets over Luisa, the girl who he grew up with next door, and the two stay in touch and carry on an emotional, not physical, affair as his wife Marina descends into poor mental health and Adele struggles with Marco being an often absentee father. As time wears on, Marco and Marina separate, and Adele, who's now a young woman, has a daughter of her own. The climactic scene is held at, of all places, a high-stakes poker matchup in a palazzo. Marco is now a middle-aged grandfather and ends up winning big. As the massive sum is about to be signed over to him, he rejects it. He declares to a room of mostly strangers that winning money wouldn't bring him happiness, as he doesn't want to travel, hire help, or quit his job. He's happy and he'll keep his life as it is. It's a sentimental note to wrap us up on, but it feels unearned. The hummingbird is so overstuffed with characters in time jumping that nothing really feels steady enough to get a handle on or to really develop. This film is loaded with so many big shattering moments that they almost grow monotonous. There's so much happening that there's no room to breathe. For me, there is no indication that Marco and Marina were ever in love before things went sour. And even Luisa, who's supposedly the love of Marco's life, is certainly around but it's not a connection that really bears authenticity. Maybe there's just too much plot to get through, but we never really get inside Marco's head or truly feel that he's found happiness 
in the wake of so much tragedy around him. The Hummingbird is certainly narratively and artistically ambitious, sweeping through one man's life, told out of order, with a thematic rather than temporal linearity, but it ultimately falls flat in terms of delivering a substantive emotional conclusion. And then last but not least, we have La Mencita, directed by Emanuele Crialese. Like Burning Hearts, La Mencita also debuted at Venice and premiered in Italian theaters later that month. It was nominated for three David Di Donatello Awards, including Best Actress for its star Penelope Cruz and Best Original Screenplay. As a synopsis, this heartfelt, semi-autobiographical drama follows a mother and her gender-questioning young teenager amidst the shifting social landscape of 1970s Rome. La Mencita is a film whose characters are seeking out for connection and happiness beyond their day-to-day world. Andrea is a young teenager who's settling into his identity with a chosen name, short hair, wearing pants instead of a skirt, but all of this goes unacknowledged by his family, who still calls him Adri or Adriana. He's able to reclaim his true self by going just across the street to a commune of migrant workers, which includes a girl named Sara. Here, Andrea can introduce himself on his terms and isn't confined by his family's expectations of who he is. He's empowered by a space where he can start from scratch versus his regular, already established life. In school, where boys and girls are divided and he's forced to wear a girl's uniform, and within his family, where his family members repeatedly misgender him, still using his birth name, Adriana. Andrea's mother, Clara, who's played by Penelope Cruz, also experiences outsider dynamics in her own way. She's a Spanish immigrant to Italy, and as a transplant to another country, she is the odd one out within social settings, as the in-law at family functions with her husband's side, who all live just to drive away. Even her married life is not a happy one, and the only real lever and impact she can make within her life is through her children. Both facing difficulties, Andrea with his identity and Clara in her marriage, Andrea's imagination inserts the two into musical fantasy sequences. While cinematically dazzling with meticulous period recreations of 1970s era performances, These moments are jarring and tonal high point spikes in a mostly low-key film. This could reflect the numbing monotony draining these characters' day-to-day lives with only these heightened fantasies to shine through, to bring life and vivacity into an otherwise dull, often disappointing existence. As tender and believable as the core mother-son relationship is, something about these sequences, as fun as they are to watch, don't quite hit the mark. They transform Clara into an icon. She's a stylish, energetic pop singer, elevating her in the eyes of her oldest child. It's in these imagined spaces where the two are their fullest and brightest selves, distinct from the reality where they go unacknowledged and not truly seen. It adds up thematically, but in execution, seeing Penelope Cruz in a wig, dancing around with a teenager, 
just feels one level too goofy, and these moments veer closer to cringy rather than joyous. What I enjoyed most about this movie is the complexity of Andrea's life and his story. Even in the midst of his identity struggles, he is the dominant older sibling. Among his cousins, he leads the way and sometimes gets everyone into trouble, and he forms a tender relationship with the girl across the street. While his parents, including his mother, don't fully understand him, his life is rich enough where there are ways in which he is empowered and he is still seen for who he is. As always, grazie for listening, and a big thank you to the Seattle International Film Festival for hosting such a great selection of contemporary Italian cinema. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your choice of podcast platform. You can also follow the show on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time, ciao, Michi.